Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musicians shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm very pleased to say, is Melissa Snova, CEO and founder of Remedy Health, home of the brand Nourished, creators of 3D printed personalised gummy vitamins. And yes, don't worry, we'll be finding out what that actually means. Having launched Age 23, a financial advisory business, which she grew by 750% in less than three years, Melissa sold her stake and moved on to her first passion project. In 2010, she created the world's first vegan, natural, and allergen-free fruit gum called Goody Good Stuff, which became one of the fastest-growing confectionery brands in Europe. Drawn to the challenge of creating more personalised products unique to each consumer, Melissa created her own 3D printing technology, despite previously having no experience in this field and being told it couldn't be done in less than 10 years. Only 2020, she launched Nourished, using her patented technology to personalise and disrupt the vitamin supplement world. Hello. Hi. It's very nice to meet you. It's great to meet you too. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You've, you've also come bearing gifts. I have in front of me nourished collagen energy in a beautiful bag. And this is a, I've got 28 orange flavor gummy stacks. That's right. Right. Now you've got to explain to me and anyone who doesn't understand, how does 3D printing, we'll get into all the things, amazing things you do, but just give me the 30 seconds on 3D printing. How can it do what it says it's done over here, which is create a gummy, which I might eat later? Sure. So there's lots of kinds of 3D printing. So I'll caveat with that for those who are enthusiasts. I don't want to upset anyone. But the type of 3D printing we use is called fused deposition modeling or FDM. And what that refers to is basically depositing single dimension layers, one after another, after another, on top of each other in different orders in order to create something that becomes three-dimensional. Now, most of the time when you hear about 3D printing, people are talking about using them for the printing of plastic, where plastic is fed in by a little rope called filament. It's melted. And then as it dries, it becomes solid again in a certain shape. And you can go on YouTube and you can see a zillion different ways creative people around the world are using that. What we do at Nourish and what I've been doing since 2015 is different because we are actually using it to create consumable material. So things you put into your mouth. And we've used it now to make things like medicine, preventative health products like nutrition, like nourished, personalized protein, personalized oral care, personalized skin care. And this is not as easy as the plastic printing because it has to be food safe and it has to be done in an extremely controlled way so that dosages are correct. And by using 3D printing now with Nourished, we can combine a huge number of different possible options in a special combination that is uniquely suited to an individual at that moment in their life. We can make over 60 billion different products today, and every product is made uniquely for the individual. And basically, without 3D printing, that would cost a hell of a lot today. You couldn't do, you couldn't create 60, however many, you just said million or billion different versions of those individual gummies. Of course you couldn't. You could, but it would not be scalable. So mm. if you think about it, a nutritionist or a chef is personalizing your menu, but you can't do that in a, in a scalable way because it's all relying on one human making things in a personalized way. So by using additive manufacturing, we can control things to a farmer-grade level acuteness 
and we can scale it up by making more printers that can make more products that can go out to more people around the world. And how did you happen upon the idea that 3D printing might change your life, Melissa? Well, when I started my first food brand, Goody Good Stuff, I I didn't own my own facilities. That's very common. Very few food brands are actually owning their own manufacturing. And I had to work with some extremely large manufacturers. And I was really, really happy that I got such high quality product, but very frustrated by massive minimum order quantities, really, really lengthy new product development cycles, two to five years to bring a new product to market. And I just really felt that that wasn't fit for purpose. So when I had the opportunity to sell that business, I had this huge bug in my ear just trying to get me to think of ways that we could basically reduce that aggravation, reduce that huge minimum order requirement, and offer more personalized solutions. And so I started using Google and looking everywhere for alternative manufacturing. At that time, 3D printing had just some of the very basic FDM technology had come out of patent protection in 2012. It was actually invented in the 70s. Most people think it's new. It's not new. And so I was able to get access to a ton of background information. I then went to every major 3D printing company that I could get to take a meeting. And as you said in your introduction, asked them to help me because I didn't didn't actually have an appetite to develop something from scratch that I knew nothing about. But yeah, I got a lot of, it can't be done, it shouldn't be done, it can't be done in less than 10 years for, you know, $10 million or more. And I didn't have that kind of money or patience. And so I decided that I would buy 3D printers, take them apart, put them back together. I learned G-coding, learned how to do toolpath overriding. Completely normal behavior. Yeah. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to hold it there because it's the normal... <laughs> I want to find out why Melissa Snova is utterly normal and decided she would do all this and then invent her own way forward. I think that's exactly the point about why she is a successful serial entrepreneur. Where did that desire and that tenacity come from to actually go into it and go, I'm just going to find this out myself? Because you had no right to go and understand what 3D printing was about, did you? I mean, that wasn't your background. No, you're right. I think it comes from when you're growing up. I think my my parents fostered in me a positive attitude about finding the solution. So I remember my mother, when I was young, me asking a question, you know, children ask tons of questions, um, which is a good thing. And this is before the internet. Okay. And so she couldn't just Google it on her smartphone. And she had encyclopedias. And she would say, let's look it up. Let's find out if we don't know the answer. So I think that started this kind of thing with me. Like if someone tells you it can't be done, you know, use your own initiative and, and find a solution. And I think I lived my entire life that way, um, which has served me pretty well, but it can, can get a little bit hectic, yeah. Well, I imagine you never <laughs> stop asking yourself the question. Once it's planted in your head, you have to right. go resolve it, which That's can right. give you a bit of a headache, <laughs> I imagine. Yes, absolutely. But, you know, it also allows you to do things that have never been done before, which is very scary because there's no, there's no rule book, there's no case study. But if you can do that, it gives you a huge sense of pride. It also gives you uniqueness and, and you're alone in your market. Well, I was going to ask you about the fear, though, because I was thinking you sounded fearless, but then you just immediately said, but it can be pretty scary. How do you harness the scary bit? Yeah, I think when you are younger in your career, you can have more fear because you have no idea what's going to happen. There's too many questions. I think as you get used to doing it, I mean, this is now, I made, you know, the food product was the first of its kind Then I did the first 3D printer for food. Now we're doing the first 3D printed personalized health products. And 
I think we have 19 patents, so all of those were firsts as well. Once you get into like the second or third time, you start to adopt like a positive innovation mindset. We have like a big sign in our office, always in beta. Nothing is broken, but everything can be improved forever. And it's just kind of a mindset. And instead of being fearful, it actually makes you excited when you start to encounter something that's not been done, because it means you're, you have an opportunity to do something completely new uh, to add huge value, but also to create um, massive optimization. And that gets me and my team hmm. very excited, but it takes time and you have to train your mind to really fall in love with that kind of on the edgeness. And, and I mean, people would have detected that you're American. Yes. Do, you, do you think coming <laughs> from the land of opportunity is also inculcated in you that kind of it's possible, let's go do it? Or is it just happenstance and nothing to do with who you are as a human? I think I think that's a very good point. I think that America as a civilization is a lot younger than the United Kingdom and as a culture has a much more, you know, any anything is possible, innovate, you can do it, entrepreneurship kind of thing in their just general cultural attitude. And perhaps that has played a part. And also the way people react to you, I imagine, it's like, oh, it's the American. I mean, if she's saying we can do it, we can do it. But do you know <laughs> what I mean? If you can, people feed off of that belief in you. Yeah, I think anyone coming in, being confident and maintaining constant positivity, people will want to follow that and will want to believe that what that person is saying is true. It is when you are alone on your own that you have to have those uh, moments where you cheer yourself on. As an entrepreneur and you have no one really that's above you that you can talk to, you have to have a lot of heart-to-hearts with yourself to make sure that you don't lose that because your whole team are counting on you to maintain it and to lead and to be the cheerleader of all cheerleaders for the business. I want to talk about that and that self-belief because I think that's a really important point in any entrepreneur's journey. Much more coming up from my guest Melissa Snow in a couple of minutes. But right now, it's time to hear a taster from the Mishcon Innovation Series, which can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Lydia Kellett invites business founders to share their industry insights and practical advice for those of you thinking about getting into an industry and starting your very own thing. In this clip, focused on the wellness industry, we hear from Richard Chambers, founder and CEO of Get a Drip. What a good name. The first UK high street vitamin drip and booster shop provider. The Mishcon Innovation Series. Insights from founders for your future business. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. It's an interesting balance, I think, there between making sure that you surround yourself with good energy and good people and cheerleaders, but also making sure that you've got the right level of stress testing on an idea. There's a startup, but the lean startup model is make a lean model as quickly as possible, put it to market, test it next. So you could do what you were suggesting, but it might take ages to get to that first model you test it and it fails, whereas you could have tested it six months ago and you known it would have failed then. So initially, I think you want the right, go out there, test it, get it done. I think later on where you're critiquing and you validated the idea, how do we now take this idea and build it towards market? I think then you want advisors and stress testing and mm. shares and building a team. But initially, I don't think you need that. You just need to go out there and test it. Just do it. The Mishcon Innovation Series, in association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishcon Derea. It's business, but it's personal. 
You can enjoy all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast, and you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. My guest today, in case you haven't noticed, is serial entrepreneur Melissa Snover, founder of Goody Good Stuff, great name, the vegan, natural, and allergen-free fruit gums, and most recently the CEO and founder of Remedy Health and Nourished, creators of 3D-printed gummy vitamins personalized to your health and lifestyle goals. I'm sounding like a commercial, but I'm not being a commercial. Um, <laughs> You talked about the inner voice. You talked about, you know, if you're leading a lot of people and you are, you're, you're the boss. Leading a lot of people, you've got to be able to kind of coach yourself. You've talked quite openly in the past about saying, listen, it may look easy from the outside. It's not. Tell me about just a couple of the lessons you've learned about the importance of acknowledging that you were struggling with mental health mm. uh, and then coming through that. Absolutely. So I think... Um I think it's important to start with an adage that I, I keep on a repeat in my mind, which is, if it was easy, everyone would do it. I, re I repeat that to myself a lot. And I think I constantly reinforce the idea that if it's really difficult, it means we're on the right track. And no one said it was going to be easy and that there shouldn't be a shortcut, um, contrary to some generational beliefs that might exist today. And I think that those kinds of and I don't just believe them, I know them to be true. And so that helped me my whole life. But that didn't make the individual moments or time periods easier. Because when you are going through something of that level of intensity, where money is literally on the wire, and every day you're making the bet that could make or break you, um, it feels like you are literally on an edge, which is why you say on the edge of a nervous breakdown. That's where that phrase comes from. And I spent in my in my younger days, not just like a month, but like a, a year and a half in a, in a nervous breakdown, like constantly, constantly on the edge, winning a little back, losing a bit more, constantly teetering on the edge. I mean, when I look back at that part of my life, that's how I actually see it. But I now look back at that time period and realize that that was the one of the greatest educations of my life, more valuable to me now in what I do today than all of my university, all of my previous jobs, which there weren't that many. Um, and all of my previous experiences combined, that two-year period gave me such a humongous amount of learning and confidence in my ability to overcome extreme adversity that that has, I, I'm 100% sure that that is why I am able to do what I am doing today. And I think the biggest difference is when I was younger, I did not have the same level of confidence in my ability to overcome those things. I really did feel like any day was make or break, like literally break, like you're going to go bankrupt. Um, and now, although the things I'm overcoming with the help of a hugely supportive and very, very powerfully gifted team is much bigger in the scheme of things. If you were to look at it from the outside, it's not as mind-wracking because of the level of confidence I have in our ability to overcome the challenges that we face. How did you know that it wasn't too much at the time? You know, how do you know when enough is enough? Because we all, I like to push myself. I'm kind of going, I, I know it's possible. I'll just read a bit more. I'll just work harder at preparing for that meeting. I'll be totally focused in the meeting. All those things that you can do, but sometimes the head's really hurting. Sometimes you are feeling quite desperate. How did you know that you weren't going to, or that you were going to come back from that? I didn't. And I think that that's something that maybe isn't a popular opinion, but I don't believe that there ever is enough. I believe the only difference between people who fail and succeed are the people that continue. And I think this is something that's been shown in scientific development, which is what I live in every day. So I constantly have analogies towards it. But 
you know, the person who keeps going and keeps testing and fails the most number of times is the one that will figure it out, is the one that will actually succeed in the end. And so, although I don't agree that you should push yourself to a place where you become physically unwell, I believe that a lot of that comes from inside your mind and you telling yourself whether it is going to break you or not and having an inner voice inside, you know, pushing you forward because... I think in the end, the only things that I have regretted in my life are the things that I quit, the things that I didn't pursue, the things that I let go of. And so, yeah, I don't do it very often anymore. People talk about visualization and they say, if I visualize it, it will happen. And of course, there's the contrary thing that says, if you visualize it, you're deluded and it may or may not happen, but it's nothing to do with visualizing. When you set this business up, as I look at it, you kind of went, you're going to reach for the stars. You've got this thing moving. You've got this audacious bit of technology, which you've got patterns behind. And then you go start talking and collaborating with really big brands and doing interesting stuff. Colgate's in there. Neutrogena's in there. That's kind of ballsy. I mean, did those opportunities just arise or did you engineer them? We did not engineer them. I think when we first launched Nourished, um, we had no intention or line in our business model for corporate collaborations. That was not part of my original business plan. And I was really flattered and and humbled by the amount of attention that we received when we launched. But to this day that we that we receive an inbound inquiries to work with us, it just continually re, reassures me that what we've done is is very unique, is very interesting to people, is hitting the mark in in many different ways, and that's great. But I think with the corporate collaborations, I think a lot of those companies have huge amounts of innovation in their pipeline, but they suffer from the same kind of challenges I talked about at the beginning, where to do a proper new product development is really costly. It takes a huge amount of time. And by collaborating with startups and other innovative businesses, they can actually do different things in a, in a more efficient way or a, or a better way. And quicker. And quicker. And so, you know, I don't think we're unique in that, but I love working with, with Colgate and with Neutrogena. Both of those relationships were, you know, a fantastic meld of them bringing world-class, world-leading expertise in their individual field. Colgate is world leader in oral care, and Neutrogena is 90 years dermatology, you know, lead skin care. It's excellent, you know, stuff that we could never, like, recruit in or fast-track to. And so by working with them, we get to combine their incredible body of knowledge and different ingredients that they might have in their core business with our innovative manufacturing technique. And you can you can create something that is the result, the marriage of those two things, which is really impactful and really beneficial to customers. And so both of those relationships are, are fantastic examples of how, you know, corporate collaboration can be really successful and benefit both parties. And the belief that they have to me is also, it makes me think about the belief that your funders have had in you. You have raised a lot of money. I think in one year, it was 2019, if I recall, mm. you were the highest female founder-funded business. Is that right? I mean, that's a... I raised the highest ever female founder seed round, but that has to be caveated with it was not a lot of money. And I would really like someone to beat my record immediately. It was was two million pounds was the highest ever female founder seed round. So talk to me about that, because I know that with the Buy Women Built connection and your, your focus on that, and indeed, if you haven't heard about Buy Women Built, I've interviewed a few people from that movement, let's call it Sahar Shemi, is why you're here. Yes. She was the, the founder of that movement. It's all about buying products built by women. Where should it be from a funding point of view, and why isn't it there yet as regards to female founders? 
Well, you know, I'm sure people have already quoted this, so I won't harp on about it, but the Rose Report showed that less than 1% of all VC capital goes to female-founded businesses. And I find that that's that's not an acceptable variance. (laughs) I would accept that there is a variance because I do believe there are less women leading businesses that raise VC capital. And that's an important distinction because I think women are running businesses all the time. They're just not raising money from VC. But I do think... 1% 1% is not explained by less women are are raising VC money. And mm. so I think that that's not okay. I don't I don't have a number in my mind that would make it fair. And I also don't believe that the fault lies 100% with the financial allocators. I think that there is a general movement which Sahar and the BWB ladies are helping to progress and raise profile of which is when young girls are growing up they need to see other women running businesses in a big and serious and impressive way that will encourage them to think of that as a possible path for them. Because I think that up until even now, I certainly didn't have female business-owning icons that I looked up to when I was a young girl. Mm. I think you can't be it if you can't see it. And we really need to do a lot at the very early stage to to get more women up to to the level. Yeah. Stay with me for my final chat with Melissa Snover, and we've got some music from her. That's all come up in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Melissa Snover is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. Most of the people I meet have their businesses, if they're not in the UK, they're not in the UK, but if in the UK, they're generally in London. You're not based in London. You're based in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. How did this happen? How did the the the, the woman from New York <laughs> slash Pennsylvania slash wherever else it was that you ended up being? How did you end up being in Birmingham? And what does it do? What what kind of ecosystem is there there for entrepreneurs? Basically, when I was starting the three D printing business for the very first one around confectionery and and consumables, I searched the internet for universities that had additive manufacturing or 3D printing degree programs. And University of Birmingham, Birmingham City, basically we have five within 10 miles of my first site that have master's and grad level additive manufacturing. And so that's why I chose it in the very beginning. In 2015, it was still very much a fringe thing. Like people were not you know, studying it. It was not available to study at school. It just came out of patent protection. And so that was like almost a necessity. But then when I came to the city and I saw how, you know, it was in a massive regeneration phase, uh, it really excited me because, you know, when I lived in New York, I remember being in Brooklyn before it got completely, you know, fancy. And it was way more fun then when there was a lot happening and you could feel it breathing and you could feel it moving. And that's how I felt when I went to Digbeth in Birmingham, which is where our first site is. Now, since then, we've continued to enjoy the benefits of being in that area because not only do we have an awesome talent pool at every level of our labor force requirement, never had to have a recruitment agent ever. And we have 257 people now. And so that's that's just a testament to the talent pool and the, the people available in the area. But we also have now four sites. And my largest site is is huge, huge. And it costs less than my eight-man serviced office when I lived in Manchester. Mm. <laughs> a month. And that kind of economy allows us to spend our money on more important things like our team, like our innovation platforms, like our growth of our business instead of on a, you know, renting an office. And I think, you know, we are not a normal startup. We are a manufacturer. Very few startups are manufacturing mm-hmm. and putting a manufacturing 
centre in London would be extremely irresponsible. Yeah, yeah that, make, that makes perfect sense. As you're talking, and I've seen like now this is the fruits of your labour over a number of years, you seem to have it mapped out in your head. It doesn't mean that aren't, there aren't really difficult days, but in terms of the financial piece, in terms of manufacturing and the location, in terms of the, the patents and the technology, it all feels like it's coming together without jinxing things. Is that how it feels for you too, versus your other start, other businesses in the past? I f- I, I'll say this in... Or do you in, never get there? I don't think I ever feel complacent, no. ever. I think that's a really dangerous thing to feel. But I am very confident that we will get there. And I'm very, very happy and very grateful for the amazing team that I have, who are all shareholders in the company as well. And I'm super proud of the business culture that we built. And I think that this is this is the most incredible thing that I've ever had the opportunity to lead and to be a part of. And uh, yeah, I'm very very happy with uh, where we're going. And that thing about innovation, it doesn't scare you indeed. It sounds like it's the lifeblood of this business. At what point do you go, I will have got there? I don't think I ever will feel like that. I think there will be a time, and I don't think it will be soon, where I will feel like I'm not the right person to keep it going, and I will step out of the way to ensure that the business and the technology has its maximum possible chance of making the biggest difference in people's lives. I want to be that person. I hope I can be for a long time. But if I'm not, I will step out of the way. It's been really good talking to you, you Melissa. It's been brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Really good luck. You know, Thank it you. feels like you've got a fabulous attitude and that whole point about stepping out of the way. Well, I'll believe that when that happens. But <laughs> it, let's see, because she's, she's smiling now. She's going, yeah, you know, they're going to have to literally lift me out. But no, I'm, I, I know what you mean if the scale is just huge and it requires different things. Just before I let you disappear, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So it's Midnight Train to Georgia by Gladys Knight and the Pips. And I used to listen to this with my father in our family room on Sundays when my mom was cooking dinner. And I have lovely memories of dancing around when I was a little girl with him. So it always brings me back. Gladys Knight and the Pips with Midnight Train to Georgia, the song choice of my business shaper, Melissa Sonova. She talked about her childhood and her mother always saying when they wanted to find something out, well, let's look it up. She talked about a positive innovation mindset and how she has inculcated her team with that very thought. And finally, she talked about the difference between failure and success is that those people who continue succeed. A really, really simple way of putting it. Keep on going. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.